Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Romans 8 is such a wealth of different conversations about our faith. I don't know how I'm going to get it all in, so let's just jump in. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved." Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, 
And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Hopefully you saw as we read through that all these wonderful conversation points in this text. I mean, memory work-wise, if you wanted to memorize a few things here, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a regular, constant reminder to have in our minds that because we are Christ, we are saved, and there's nothing the devil can do to stop it. I mean, fantastic stuff, right? And then the last... I'm going to say the last paragraph, verses 37 through 39. Um, You could see how the momentum of the chapter was building towards that and just such a profound statement that we are his and nothing can separate us from his love. And so as the devil seeks to, as the world seeks to, as our own sinful flesh seeks to separate us from God, this is a beautiful chapter with some of those verses that you can commit to memory so that you can fight back with the word of God, just as God resisted, right? Jesus resisted the devil's temptations in the wilderness by speaking the word of God. So when the devil accuses you, you can bring up God's word. Nothing can separate you. There is no condemnation because you are in Christ. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. All right, so the law of the Spirit has set you free. It's almost like the idea of the way of life. Um, By life in the Spirit, you are set free from the law of sin and death. So we were slaves of sin, now we are slaves of God. We were um, betrothed to, we were married to the old way of things, but now we are the bride of Christ. I mean, a couple of different metaphors from the book so far, and we're almost adding a third one with this kind of language here. God has done what the law could not do. The law could not save. The law could not deliver. In fairness, that was never its intention. But God has done what the law could not do. By sending his own son, he condemned sin. Right? Christ crucified for us, took that away, 
that the, the law would be fulfilled. He lived out what we were supposed to have done, and he lived it perfectly for us to be that perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so verse 5, those who live according to the flesh, so those who live according to their sin, they set their minds on their sin. Right? They chase after their sinful desires, and this leads to death. But those who live according to the Spirit, those who have faith, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit, that is, the things of God, and these things lead to life. Again, we saw yesterday in chapter 7 Paul wrestling with his own sinful nature. It's not that we as Christians will never sin again. It's not that we will never have wicked thoughts again. We most certainly will, assuming we have another day to live. But it is that our our life is focused around, centered around Christ, and that the sin is an intruder. It's an outsider. It is no longer our it is no longer to be our our way of life, our pattern, our habit. It's an enemy, and we know it's an enemy, unlike those who do not live by the Spirit. We set our minds on the things of God, on his will, on his purposes for us here in this place. Verse 8 is one that can be talked about as a family. Those who are in the flesh, so those who live by sin, not by faith, cannot please God. This is the old conversation that the the one who is not a Christian cannot do a good work. So the Muslim can do the the thing that in the eyes of the world is a good work, like they can make a great uh, charitable contribution to some need that's in their community. They can can help the little old lady across the street, to use that really old example and illustration. In the eyes of the world, those are good things, but before God, they're not. Because there is not faith. And this is a question then for the children. What is it that actually makes our works good? What makes the work that we do in this world something that God loves? And it's the fact that God himself is the one who gives us good works to do. And it is by faith in him then that the works that we do are considered good. That's the key. Uh, apart from faith, we cannot do a good work. But God has given us good works to do as his family, as his people. Verses 9 through 11 really stress the idea that God is in us. You might remember the Old Testament title for the Messiah, Emmanuel, right? God with us. And we see that as Jesus comes into this world, born of the Virgin Mary, to be God with us. But we still see it today. Even though Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, he is still God with us. In fact, as we hear Paul say here, if Christ is in you, that God dwells in us, both spirit and Christ. So second and the third person of the Trinity, the scriptures use that language that they live in us. We probably would tend to say they live in our hearts. Um, I don't know. We talked about that inner conversation a couple days ago. I'm not really sure if we can, how, how crystal clear we can be on exactly how it works that God lives within us, and that's okay. I think the question that I might ask my children coming off of verse 9, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, when does God dwell in us? Like, when does that happen? When does that start? Might be another way to say it. This is a conversation that brings you to how faith is created in us. That the Holy Spirit, through the proclaimed word of God or through the 
the waters of holy baptism, the Spirit is the one who creates faith in us. The Spirit is the one who brings us to repent. And at that point, the Spirit lives in us. Um, this also connects to the idea of, well, I'm, demon possession is a conversation here. Because of what we learned from Christ, I mean, you might remember this from Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus talks about how when the demon is cast out, the house is basically, looking at the body as a house, the house is basically swept clean, and that if the house is left that way, if it's left empty, that demon's just going to go out and he's going to find seven other demons who are more evil than himself, they're going to come and they're going to dwell in that house. So now the demon possession will be worse than it was before. But the implication of that passage from Jesus then is, if that house is swept clean, so Jesus has driven out the demon, and then Jesus is the one who dwells in that person, right? Or the Holy Spirit takes up home in that person, there is no room for the demons to come back. The house is already occupied. And so that's been the common understanding of the Christian church, as far as I'm aware, uh, for, for generations, centuries, millennia at this point. Um, as we continue then, the next section, we are heirs of Christ, uh, is that paragraph from verses 12 to 15. If we seek to live according to the flesh, sin, it brings death. But if we live by the Spirit and by faith, yeah, that brings life. This is difficult for us. It's often something we don't want to do. Again, we saw that even with Paul yesterday as he wrestled with this, struggled with this. This is the need to daily remember our baptism and to put to death that sin, that old Adam in us, that we may live not for sin, but for the Lord. Then we talk about being sons of God. We can call God Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for Father. So Father, Father, we call upon our, our Father in heaven as we do in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus told us to talk to God, right? He teaches us to pray such. We are children of God, heirs of God. So when a father dies, all that is his is given to his children. God the Father will not die but nonetheless, we are still his heirs, and all that he has will be ours as we go, get to join him and be with him in his paradise. Fellow heirs with Christ, so we co-reign with Jesus. Now note, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you want to be a child of God, you suffer with God. You suffer with Christ. It might be a spot to stop and ask your kids, is that the way we're used to hearing things talked about? Because it's just not, right? That's not 21st century American worldview. Suffering is seen as bad, but the scriptures don't talk about it that way. All right. Um, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed with us. Again, suffering here, seen in a different light, it doesn't even come close. It doesn't even compare to the, the good that is to come. Consider the parable that Jesus tells, most likely a parable. There's some debate about that. Um, the parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19 and following, about Lazarus and the rich man. So you've got the rich man who eats sumptuously every day, and then you've got Lazarus, who is poor, his body's covered with sores. Even the dogs come and lick his sores on his flesh. Which would you rather be? Right? If you had a choice, how many of us would pick the rich man? 
How many of us would pick Lazarus? And yet, what's the outcome of the two? Lazarus had a terrible and miserable existence for a few years here. But then for the rest of forever, which is infinitely more days, he has a blessed existence in paradise. Whereas the rich man had a wondrous existence for a few days here. But for the rest of forever, he lives in suffering because he had rejected God. And that's, that's the picture that we need to grasp as a church body today, that it's not the American way of life. The American way of life does not lead to salvation. It leads to death. There is something else. We are someone else because Christ dwells in us. We get a bit about the creation itself, um, that it was subjected into this brokenness by Adam who subjected it. Um, It waits for its caretakers to be restored again, that they would care for it well again. Um, And that's going to end up being the new heaven, the new earth someday as Christ has returned for us. So the creation will be set free. Not only the creation, but we have grown together with the creation while we wait for that adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's the last day. It's a now and not yet, right? We are already adopted. We've seen that language right back in verse 15. We are already sons of God, and yet there is something more to come. There is something even better coming when we get to live with him forevermore. Verse 26, that gives us the idea about prayer, that when we don't know what to pray, and we've all been there, right, as Christians, I don't even know how to pray right now, the Spirit prays for us. And there's, and there's two things to this. One is literally in your silence, the Spirit knows what is on your heart and what is on your mind, and the Spirit conveys your needs to the Father. And this is good, right? The other part, though, too, is what words has the Spirit already inspired and given to us? The words we're talking about, the words of Scripture. Go there. I don't know what to pray. Open the Psalms. That's 150 prayers right there for you. The Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, or it shows up in Luke as well, a little different than the version we have memorized. Pray the prayers that God has given. Let his word be the guide for your prayer. That'll teach you how to pray. And so the Spirit intercedes for us. Verse 28 is another you know, core concept. And I skipped over one too, verse 24. I missed that one. Hope. We don't hope for what we see. You know, you don't step outside and do an 80 degree or oh, I'll go with 75 degree, nice sunny day, beautiful day and say, well, I sure hope it's going to be nice weather today. It's already nice weather today. You don't have to hope for it anymore. And that's worldly hope too, which often fails us. The hope that we have in God does not fail. It is a certain hope. It is a fixed hope because God has promised and God is faithful and God does not go back on his promises or his word. We would not have to hope for it if we already saw it. If we were already with the risen Christ in paradise, we would not have hope that we would be with the risen Christ in paradise anymore. So we still hope. We still wait patiently. All right, so 28, God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is a, another one of those significant passages here that God works even through evil in this world and that he brings good out of it for his people. It may not be the good that you expect, 
but it is good nonetheless because God has done it for you. God allows suffering, as we saw in chapter 5, in order to build endurance and character and hope in his people. God allows evil and even works through evil in this world sometimes in order to strengthen the faith of his people or call the unbeliever to repent. So, it's verse 28 is a helpful perspective to have in mind. Verse 29 and 30 get debated quite a bit, um, this idea of God's foreknowledge. Before he created the world, he knew all things. And so he had a foreknowledge. He knew what would happen even today. He knew where you would be as you listened to this podcast before he even created, which is fascinating to consider and dwell on. And so because he foreknew stuff, he predestined stuff, he determined things according to his son Jesus, that Jesus would be the firstborn, which means there will be others among many brothers that we would be with him. And so he has predestined, he has called us to be his children, he has justified us, and he will glorify us. All right, the last section, I, I left myself no time, but this is, this is maybe my favorite section of the text. So if God is for us, who can be against us? Great question to throw at your kids. The answer to that is no one, as this text is going to so richly say. Christ died and was raised, sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for us today. He loved you so much that he did all of that for you. And it's already done. There's no reason for him to go back on it, right? There's no reason for him to say, oh, well, you know, Frank did a sin today, and I, don't, I just I don't think I can forgive him for that one. No, he already died. He already shed his blood for the very purpose of forgiving that sin. The devil has nothing on you. The devil's trick before God on, on the day of judgment is to lift up your sin and say, you know, he did this, 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 and that, to which Jesus will say, and I've forgiven it all. The devil has no ammunition against you on the day of judgment. That's the point here. That's such a beautiful thing to know and to trust and to put our hope in. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Nothing, right? And that's the answer coming up. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, no matter what you endure. The citation there is from Psalm 44, verse 22, and that the Christian of every generation, of every era, Old Testament and New, we have suffered for our faith. But the Lord is faithful. The Lord brings us through. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not that I conquered anything, but Jesus conquered sin, death, and the devil for me. And because I am co-heir with Christ, all that is his, it's mine, and it's yours. And this is wondrous. And so we have that beautiful list. Death, life, angels, rulers, present, things things to come, powers, height, depth, anything in creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Commit those words to memory. Know it. Put your hope in that good news from God that he has you. He has delivered you from sin, death, and the devil. You are his. And so we cry out, Abba, Father to the one who has made us his own children forevermore. Let us praise the word incarnate, Christ your Son.